I'm Dave Monaco, the Allen Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Having welcomed three individuals from outside the parish community to my first three podcast episodes of season three, I'm excited to shift our belonging focused theme back onto campus for the next several conversations. It was Dr. Abraham Maslow who, in 1943, identified the hierarchy of needs, five stages, one need experience if he or she is to attain full actualization of self. After the basic physiological needs of food, shelter, and warmth are met, the next important need becomes security or safety. Simply put, one can and will not feel a sense of belonging and fit if he or she does not feel emotionally and physically safe. So, before we went any further exploring this theme of belonging for the year, I thought we would take a few episodes to explore how we here at Parish tend to and nurture conditions of physical and emotional safety on our campuses. We will get the conversation started with the form of safety preeminent to all others, physical safety. I am pleased in this episode to be joined by Bodhi Sarton, Parish's new and first Director of Community Safety. Bodhi began at Parish in early August, his position emerging as the top recommendation of the Board of Trustees approved security task force who concluded their work and had the report accepted by the trustees in April of 2019. Bodhi comes to Parish having served over three decades on the Dallas police force with experiences while there as a SWAT officer and supervisor in field supervision and in narcotics among others. Bodhi also served during his professional career as a school resource officer at local independent schools and most recently on the private security force for a local family. In this episode, Bodhi and I talk about the changes we have both witnessed. He as a law enforcement professional, me as a school administrator in school security over the last 20 years. We discuss the security task force report and the directives he has assumed responsibility for from it. And we take into account some of his preliminary observations about joining the parish community. I'm sure you'll be glad to get to know Bodhi a little bit better in this episode. Bodhi Sartre, Parish's first Director of Community Safety. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm not sure why we chose to record this on September 5th, the night of uh, the ESPN2 football game here uh, on campus, but we did, Hmm. and I appreciate you taking a little time from all the running around that you've been doing the last several days, and certainly today, getting ready for this big event on campus tonight. Tell tell the listeners just a couple of the things you've been occupying yourself with over the last 72 hours. Well, just the last few hours today, uh, my first lockdown, we had to uh, (laughs) learn that procedure, uh, make my notes on the after action for that. And that had nothing to do with tonight's game. (laughs) Nothing to do with tonight's game. (laughs) I had uh, ESPN crews rolling in Mm -hmm. at 30 minutes after the lockdown Mm -hmm. to get them situated. Uh, After that, another meeting regarding uh, barricades and traffic cones and marking off enough parking spaces for our boosters. Uh, Then I had a chance to get a little bite to eat and then then the administrative meeting (laughs) and now the podcast and after this we'll set our lights up in the in the parking lot across the field in the soccer and then once we get that done carpool for the afternoon and then the spectators will start arriving pretty early it'll be non-stop yeah i think people forget or maybe don't even realize an event 
a regular Friday night football game or any type of event we have on campus requires an immense amount of, of, of planning and preparation. This particular event where we don't even know how many people we're going to end up having, when yep. you listen to this, you'll have seen it yourself, yeah. um, has required extensive uh, operational uh decisions and discussions regarding everything from traffic flow to yeah. uh, you know pedestrian safety your work with the farmers yeah. branch officers who will be here tonight and where yeah. they'll be positioned in a portion so welcome to your new job well, thank you I mean, you've been here yeah, thank you. <laughs> you've been here barely a month and we threw you uh, right into the right into the fire so yeah by way of more formal introduction I think let's just talk a little bit about your background I mean this is a first position and so we we identified you after an extensive search uh, that began in May and, and concluded in July and you started there in the first part of August so, I mean, tell the, the listeners, uh, you know, at, at the highest level about your work with the Dallas Police, where you spent a preponderance of your career over 30 years. So tell us a little bit about the things that you did uh, as a member of the Dallas Police Department. Yes, absolutely. Um, as any officer, you know, you start the police academy and then you work the, the street. We call it the uh, patrol division. Mm -hmm. So um, I did a, approximately four years there. And reflecting back, you don't realize just how much you learn in such a short period of time. So if you can imagine getting in your car to go home today, I add a police radio, I add noise coming over the radio, I add another partner, a senior partner, who's basically your, your boss mm -hmm. or mentor or who's giving you instructions. And then you have to listen to every word of that police radio while you're listening to the instructor, while you're driving through heavy rush hour traffic. So you end up doing a lot of multitasking. but it's amazing how quickly that progresses where everything becomes kind of secondary. Mm -hmm. And the reason I tell you that, I'll, I'll lead up into you know why, why that is pertinent for this position. Uh, after patrol, I was fortunate enough to get accepted to the SWAT team. Mm -hmm. And there, it's a totally different dynamic, whereas in the patrol, you, you, you rush from call to call, handle your business, go to the next call. SWAT, the first call out, we get there and I'm ready to, you know, hey, let's, let's get this bad guy. But everything slowed down. There was planning. There was communications, negotiations, strategic thinking on how we can safely extract that person out of there without anyone getting harmed mm -hmm. or with minimal property damage. So the thinking process, you know, kind of slowed from the patrol side. And again, this carries over to the current position. Uh, after 12 years of SWAT, you know, the body was kind of breaking down. I was uh, able to go to the firearms training center and teach younger officers how to shoot rifles mainly, um, rifles and pistols. So I did that for about four years and realized that um, that too had a, a shelf life. So I took a promotion to a, a field supervisor, which put me back in patrol. And this time, instead of just going from call to call, uh, the patrol supervisor goes to the more of the urgent calls, more of the decision-making calls, and they may come into play on you know how to handle a certain situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, that, that plays into it also. So I, I finished my last six years with Dallas Police in the Narcotics Division. Mm -hmm. And that was also a, an element to itself that was intriguing because you, know, you saw the, uh, the worst of the worst criminals, but we had to handle them on a friend-to-friend -friend basis because guys that worked for me, the undercover guys, they had to have a rapport with them as like their business partners mm -hmm. slash friends. Yep. And that was difficult because, you know, in, in my mind, I always had to protect that officer's safety. 
versus worrying about you know him making a case. So yeah, I think that's issue how you profiled um, things that were a little more tactical in your first few years, then the strategic skills that you honed as you went into you know field supervision, and then of course really the the, the, the tactical skills that came with uh, with SWAT. And frankly, even in this day and age, uh, school communities have to be worried about uh, drugs and alcohol and, yep. and the issues in narcotics. So I know when we looked at your uh, Dallas police experience, there were so many things there that pointed to uh, uh, wisdom that you would bring potentially to the types of issues uh, that we are that we are facing here on on our campuses, and to have your have your expertise in looking at them. So uh, that's it, it served it, it served well. I wanted to touch on because you you lived through it um, as it relates really to school safety, uh, what you remember and recall, and how you all as professional law enforcement officers began to shift your approach post Columbine. I was a uh, uh, I was one year in, in fact, it was in my first year as a school administrator. I was middle school head at Ravenscroft School in the spring of 1999 when uh, the Columbine incident happened. And I remember distinctly um, feeling like, wow, that is horrible, but seeing it as an isolate, right? And it, yeah. it's just like it really never happened before at that scale yeah. and scope. And, and so it wasn't until we moved into that next year or two when there were, um, you know, some copycat yeah. of lesser scope events that took mm -hmm. place that all of a sudden what in the first 10 years of my career had been nary a conversation about school security, no. not one, no. uh, led to me uh, in that particular role uh, really assuming responsibility for developing the first crisis response plan for um, for, for Ravenscroft and is very much informed, I think, um, you know, uh, this, this uh, conversation about school safety. So from your perspective in law enforcement, what do you remember about the, arise, the, the rising uh, recognition of school safety and how you all began to change your considerations of, uh, of how you interface with schools as law enforcement officers? Yes, we, we were in the same situation. We thought it was just an isolated event until you know the studies started coming out the after action reports and then we started looking like this could happen anywhere any school what are we doing to pre prepare for it so at the time um the response was you know you get a, a 911 call basically shooter you, you you send all hands on deck to that location and then what do you do when you get there it's kind of everything is in chaos we didn't have any um idea about schools we didn't train in schools at the time i, I was in and SWAT, so what we did, we started asking the schools in the summer, hey, can we use your facility to train? And then we started mapping out each of the schools in Dallas, which is quite a few. So uh, we weren't able to go lay eyes on each of the schools, but we were able to get floor plans, entry points. And most of them were you know, pretty standard, your big, big entry door, hallways, doors on each side, a lot of times multi-level. So we, uh, I say we, uh, a, a group of SWAT guys, Dallas SWAT guys, developed a, we called it a rapid response to school shooting plan. And at that time, we would have a contact team. So they, the first three to four people to arrive would immediately go in and try to neutralize the threat. And that was a big tactical change. Big. Because initially, yep. the idea was crisis, surround, yep. sit, negotiate. Yep. And then they began to come to us as schools. We had the same thing in Raleigh. Yep where the officer's like, no, we're gonna come in in a triangle, we're gonna have yeah. the first three, four officers there, line up in a tactical yeah. triangle, and we're gonna go We're gonna go approach the shooter. And, and you saw the old way in, in the Miami shooting, you know, where mm -hmm. they just waited outside. Right. That was the old, old school training. So then, uh, you know, 
we're obviously not the first to get to the school, so we, I'm saying we as SWAT, needed to train all the patrol, patrol officers, which you're talking 750 in Dallas, with this tactic, with this mindset, that they're the first to go in and neutralize. And then at the time, we didn't have the, uh, the, the firearms to match some of these uh, high school shooters. We just had the old shotgun and pistol, but you know we had to make it work. So that led to later on, you know, the patrol rifle that we talked about, how we implemented that after I left SWAT and the firearms. We started getting all the patrol guys equipped with AR-15s so they can make entry to these schools and be able to neutralize someone down a hallway versus the old way. You, you couldn't do that. You just have to either run, try to corner him, or you know whatever the next tactic was. Yep. So then after the first initial contact team went in we would have the next group next four or five set up as a rescue team so any injured faculty students anyone in the school we would start either administering first aid instantly or bring them out to a safe zone mm -hmm. for dfr or the ambulance to pick them up yep. and then they would just go back each team would leapfrog and now what's called reunification so in a state of crisis <clears throat> how do you regather the community to right. get accountability for who's there and who's yep. not i mean all of this is to say that in the last generation of 20 years, effectively, you know, you as a yeah. you as a as a law professional had to shift your mindset and your approach based on a circumstance that really had not existed pre-Columbine. And as an educator, as an educational mm -hmm. leader, I, I all of a sudden was positioned to have to take into consideration campus security yeah. and lockdown drill practices and uh, how the school was going to respond and move yeah. kids and community members in a point of crisis and um, it's sad like yeah, I mean at, at the end of the day yeah. all, all that is is sad but this is sort of the new reality mm -hmm. which has led to the professionalization of security presence on our campuses right so at Ravenscroft and Raleigh as this sort of unfolded in the early 2000s we had the big debate on do we bring Raleigh Police Department to our campus like we really struggled with yeah. this decision our uniformed armed police on campus and we ultimately decided to do it and then just before I left in 2009 we hired our first director of of campus uh, safety there a retired Raleigh mm -hmm. police officer and so you know I kind of <clears throat> saw where that was heading and in the 10 years that I've been there I've uh, been here at Parrish we've had the same thing happen yep. uh, Dallas Police Department, your your former colleagues at Hill, our Hillcrest campus, mm -hmm. a tremendous relationship with the yeah. Farmers Branch Police Department here. We pay close to three hundred thousand dollars a year in our operational budget just for police officers. And and that pre Columbine, that number was used in other areas. Right. Think about yeah. it. And now, of course, that brings us yeah. to your position too, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. effectively, having somebody here to coordinate that because this was a responsibility that was previously on the shoulders of uh, Angela Kiefer, our director of operations, who did a terrific job with it, but was also having to manage 370,000 square feet of, and 50 acres of campus here at, um, yeah. at Midway. Big and it just wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't sustainable. So, you know, that kind of brought us yeah. to your position. So you're a month in, obviously just sort of still getting the, still getting the, the feel for it, but explain to the listeners in general, what are the what are the general areas that you are now oversighting that you've pulled off of Angela's plate and have put uh, onto your crowded now your now crowded <laughs> plate? Okay, I, anything with this uh, community safety kind of has a nexus to almost everything. Yep. However, uh, we have decided that you know that if that was ha to happen, I would be doing the same thing Angela was doing. You know, mm -hmm. basically, you know, handling a lot more than I could feasibly do. So. Let's start with the front desk. 
Um, I look at it as our first line of security. You may look at it as, hey, our first line of customer service. Correct. So we start with the front desk personnel, um, the off-duty police officers. You mentioned both campuses. Uh, carpool has fell under my, my purview. Mm -hmm. Um, the sporting event tonight we talked about earlier, you know, I feel a responsibility to the traffic flow, the safety of the, the crowd. Um, so it goes on and on. You mentioned drills and protocols for training faculty and, and staff and uh, really evaluating the effectiveness of those drills uh, as part and parcel of that. Yep. And uh, fortunately, y'all had a, the Titan app already in place. So I'm trying to fine tune that a little bit to be able to use effectively either through drills or through live scenarios. So with these drills, I want to take out, you know, hey, what are our deficiencies and kind of strengthen those, uh, continue to do the drills and build upon them, build additional layers. Um, so there, there's been quite a bit. Um, equipment, you know, there's, there's some deficiencies here as far as what we need on, from a safety side. Uh, how can we spend the money wisely and get our best bang for the buck mm -hmm. because there's a lot of a lot of uh, companies out there willing to sell you a lot of different safety mm -hmm. features and that industry evolved the same way we did we talked about at pre-columbine those those industries weren't in place before all this so now do you know do i run out and get bulletproof glass do i run out and get you know doors sensors on every single door so you have to adjust what makes sense there's an extensive camera system throughout the midway facility uh, so this is another piece of, of looking at the uh, uh, sort of relevance and and uh, updating yep. of that system yes uh, if not for deterrence and for an investigation post yep. post circumstances so that will be something that you'll uh, really be digging into as well yep and uh, the, the camera system in place now will you know say that's one of the best uh, there are a few older units that will just upgrade and then we'll add and some newer ones in strategic places. So the camera system is one of the strengths that are that is already in place. Um, so there, there are some strengths already here with the school and the safety. Uh, the first thing I noticed was, you know, the single building. You know, coming from a different environment, you know, where there's multiple buildings you have to, to, to monitor and keep safe. This one is an advantage because you have basically three main entrances four if you consider the, the, the docks. But in the negative part of that, there's a lot of places to hide and they're a long way off from your initial responders through that main entrance. Yep. So pros and cons with this building, but overall I would say it, it, it's an advantage. There are main there are main entry points in the Midway campus, but there are numerous doors along the Great Hall and across yep. the sort of uh, uh, base first floor of the facility, which create uh, entry and, and egress uh, challenges and opportunities that we, I know you're going to be working with us to, to evaluate. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, this this campus, today being a, a perfect example, um, is is uh, occupied and busy uh, close to 17 hours a day you know you have students that are here as early as 5:45 in the morning mm. on an evening like tonight the campus will will uh, quiet uh, sometime around 11 11 30 maybe closer to midnight tonight's a bit of an exception but yeah. not really as one who spends <laughs> a lot of time out here uh, and so the um, sheer number of people who are moving in through and across this campus at any given time uh, creates so many um, challenges and exposure points 
that again in yeah in years years gone by we would have just uh, chalked off to being a community center and a place of great vitality <laughs> and vibrance right but now uh, you and, and I and a lot of others spend time thinking about mm-hmm. where where are our risk points you know not just on threats of violence yeah. but with you know 5,000 people here tonight let's say what if there's a medical event and yeah. how are we making sure that uh, we have uh, you know the the opportunity to cover that. So there's there's a lot of complexity to the role that uh, that, that you've taken on, uh, both in just uh, the day to day operation, but also around these special event uh, special event considerations, uh, these special event considerations too. So you mentioned a couple of your early evalu- uh, observations. Much of your work is being informed by the security task force that uh, was was board commissioned and uh, formed in 2018 primary recommendation of it was to hire a director of community safety, but it has also let forth um, a series of recommendations, some of which you'd mentioned on things like cameras and egress and entry points mm-hmm. and, and front desk security. But as you look at other observations here, are there any other pertinent besides the ones that you've um, that you've observed that uh, you, you've been interested in in uh, recognizing? They may be about culture, they may be about safety. Like, what have you noticed about this place? Just laying eyes on it for a month. Well, the First thing uh, someone in my line of work will notice is how proactive you are with the mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I haven't read any other. Uh, I, I visit a lot of you know these, these school security type websites, and very little mention is mentioned about you know the mental health, mm-hmm. the well-being of the student. Mm-hmm. How how y'all are already monitoring certain mm-hmm. um, tendencies. Mm-hmm. So that was the number one thing that mm. separated this school from mm-hmm. all the other schools right. when, when I started looking at the um, the, the write-up for the position. Mm-hmm. And I think that is going to spread once others hear about it. Um, and, and I'm going to do my part through my peers in the, in the Metroplex who have similar positions mm-hmm. and uh, see if we can all meet and, and coordinate and get the rest of the schools kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. That, that was the first thing that really jumped out. Mm. Um, after that, just uh, being willing and and having someone like you or Mark, uh, my, my my boss man, mm-hmm. to uh, be open to these mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you'll you'll get to a school and you know there's there's no money in the budget. No, we're not doing that. And so why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, it, it it can get very frustrating because yeah. you know you have these ideas that you believe in that the other schools are doing, and this is the best case practices that they, is recommended. But yet, you may have you know someone say, no, we're not doing it. We're mm-hmm. gonna spend the money over mm-hmm. here, and that that would force someone like me to kind of hey, you know, mm-hmm. this this may not be the place for me. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen seen that here. No indicator of that, and uh, everything has been very positive. And hey, we want. To get back to this task force report and, and and do the checks and knock these things off our list, and that just gives me a goal to shoot for, and uh, and I'm intrigued. I'm I'm excited about the opportunity. Yeah, we're glad to have you here, and, and I think uh, while the you and I will be uh, gathering with the community on September uh, 19th to go through the task force report, probably. Um, not exactly aligned with uh, the the dropping of this podcast. You know, we are not going to specifically go through every recommendation of the twenty five that came out of the task okay. force report. There's uh, certainly uh, elements of of, of I think um, keeping that close to vest that we think are part of being a secure place. But yes. the task force report um, gave recommendations in um, eight or nine different areas. You mentioned mental health, physical security, communications, procedures, training, and drills. 
um, looking at things like how we engage resources and staffing, uh, like our officers from Farmers Branch, uh -huh. et cetera, um, after hours, which is a huge challenge, what security looks yep. like in, sure in those day hours beyond uh, the school day. And in cybersecurity, right? The whole idea of, of how we keep uh, data here safe, both the kids' data and the, and the students' data, but also uh, the financial data that comes in from families and the like. So in under each of those umbrellas, we have a set of recommendations uh, that, that, that we've prioritized and, and have sort of set you on to on course to, to, to start pursuing this year. If you were to kind of list the two to three to four that have sort of risen quickly to your areas of focus, what are, what are some of the areas that you prioritize and said, you know, this, is, this year I really want to either observe in this space or begin to implement some recommendations uh, in that space what which ones would you, would you I, I would start with the physical security uh, the door accesses you know we talked about the evening uh, the school is very vulnerable most of your adult instructors teachers staff have left campus by five-ish right uh, they're still after care a lot of kids are still here sporting events um, and if you know and traffic is heavy on, on midway for you know response time if you had a 911 emergency. So all those things considered, I think uh, we need some type of hardening of the school for after hours. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand, you know, there's a lot of activities where the kids need to come. Mm -hmm. But if we can coordinate and get um, <clears throat> teachers, instructors, coaches on the same page about arrival time, make that a smooth process where the kids can still get in the school yep. without just leaving the doors wide open for anyone to walk in the school. There's a nice editorial digression here that I'll, I'll insert because yeah, of my position, I can do that, which is for the parents that are listening to then share with any parents that aren't listening, you know, we need your help. Like the, these hours, is the, the hours especially from 3.30 to 5.30, right. uh, we, do ch we are very challenged uh, by students moving to after-school practices and other school-sponsored activities where we need the help from those parents that are essentially leaving their kids here yeah. outside the guise of formal programming to wait to get picked up. And yeah. that, that is something that I think uh, in, in, in really the landscape of the school is going to be changing over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. And we're really going to continue to try to tighten up those processes. So parents, if you're listening, spread the word. If your kid's not going to a practice uh, or going to a, uh, you know, a sponsored school activity after school, we really need uh, them to be moving off campus to, uh, to to a point of call that the family has set up for them. So uh, after hours, you mentioned, uh, just to get you back on your train of thought, uh, after hours you're looking at door entry and e uh, egress, any other any other items? Uh, an evening receptionist, so the, right. the door will be locked, So you know, the, but the receptionist can see if it's a parent or kid, you know, the door will be unlocked yes. by the time they get to the door. Yep. Um, we'll have access We're in control. the process of hiring for that right now to have a person who is downstairs at yes. the front desk of Midway between yep. uh, 4.30 and actually 2.30 and yep. 9.30, actually more uh, of an extensive period of time. Right. Yep, and now Mark and I are looking at bids for access control. So say the door is locked at mm -hmm. um, 7, we don't have our receptions there mm -hmm. for whatever reason. The doorbell immediately goes to either our iPhone mm -hmm. or a monitor mm -hmm. from an iPad. We can communicate hey I'm here to drop off for theater whatever the case yep. is and hit a door release they come in and then so we have a little bit more control that way so those bids are in we just uh, are looking at those see which vendor we want to go with I would say too in the in that category of engaging resources and staffing Angela did a, a great job scheduling the farmers branch officers but Angela's not a law enforcement professional so I would suggest too that you're really going to be able to uh, train and tighten protocols about 
where our daytime officers who arrive at 5.30 in the morning and are here until uh, the early evening, really how they're circulating through the building, right? How they're communicating uh, with key personnel here. Um, I think that's going to be a much much more of an enhancement to an already very excellent opportunity that we have here to have them with us um, because of your knowledge and expertise of how how to train officers. Like, that's what you've done as a field supervisor, Well, in the first month, you know, the two large groups that, that gather cafeteria so the officers posted there uh what i noticed today during after lockdown in the chapel uh, we didn't have any presence there so either the uh the regular officer or i will will try to make it a point where we're always in the chapel for both services so that way if you know something does happen we're able to give direction or you know whatever the case right. we're able to get involved so that's another point that oh we're, we're a little weak in this area we mm-hmm. need to uh, adjust that so with the communication with the farmers branch officer then we will have those assignments laid out so they will know throughout the day here this is a weak spot we need to be at this location so these are these are um, these are recommendations of, of action coming out of the task force report but you all know as a as a beat officer as a beat cop you know so much of the work um, yeah. is relational right and I think we um, spent a lot of time both with candidates like you and then obviously in your onboarding here talking about you know this this notion of of where the where the line of director of community safety ends um and where it starts and how we would title the position so instead of director of security it's director of community safety that you know you are one who's going to be we hope in time uh recognizable uh approachable uh, with kids and faculty and students uh, and parents alike um, and so I know you're spending a lot of time just uh, using it, your you know, uh, gracious and affable disposition just to get to know people too, right? There's a lot of people to know. Uh, yeah. The different carpools, you think about that, you know, there's, <laughs> right. there's front and back morning here. Yep. You, got, you got front and back at Hillcrest yep. mornings, uh, afternoons. So, you know, I, I want to get to where that point where I'm, I'm a Dave Monaco, where I'm, you know, Right. Knowing the kids by name, yeah. shaking their hand, yeah. high five, yeah. and yeah. welcome, welcoming them, but I'm, I'm a little ways off of that. Absolutely. But uh, yes, I, I can, I can see that as a vision where you know the kids do recognize me as a, um, a safety. I, I don't have the uniform, but yet, you know, the kids used to come up while I was in uniform, and you know they they saw you as a Mr. Friendly. Yep. So. Once I get to that point, then things will be running a little bit smoother, and that'll, yeah. that'll be a good day. I mean, we're working on you know first time position. We're working on what do you wear? How do we how do we how do we identify you as director of community safety? So you're going to have a shirt soon yeah. that identifies you. Such like a lot of these things you're going to unfold for the community. But we we did not want Barney Fife, right? right? You know, to, to go old school with some of our listeners, right? The sort of Barney Fife that runs around with one bullet in mm-hmm. his pocket yeah. and you know wants to be Mister Authority. You know, the the line of discipline behavior in class. Uh, even major transgressions that might jeopardize whether a student stays or not are not the purview of the director yeah. of community safety. Director of community safety, you may be consulted if your expertise or wisdom uh, is necessary or if the event involves some uh, violation of the law, but that's that's where your line draws and our team here knows that and you know that. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we, we, want, uh, we want you to be uh, an individual uh, who like our Farmers Branch police officers for sure are really seen as part of the fabric of this yeah. place. Like our kids know them and talk to them and, and enjoy uh, enjoy interacting with them. You've mentioned Hillcrest a couple of times, and I think before we um, before we close, we should speak a little bit to that. Um, there are uh, through our relationship as a lessee at the church, there are um, uh, 
committees and leadership uh, on that campus with the director of operations, uh, Bracken Reese, uh, who are also tending to security issues there. We do not have final authority uh, uh, in, right. in those uh, elements, and you're not really going to be stationed there, though you'll interface with the Dallas uh, Police Department. But we will continue to have officers there. We put a new gate and fence that's going to be uh, uh, put across the Spring Valley entrance there and closed during the day. We're looking at building mechanism for locking uh, there. Our faculty there on the Titan uh, communication mm -hmm. app that uh, Midway faculty are that allow uh, uh, more rapid and, and effective communication. So, you know, what do you expect your presence to be over there, even though it's not your main purview? You've been really good about getting over there to do some carpools in the morning and whatnot. So how, how, you, how are you handling uh, that relationship now and getting to understand that campus a little bit? Again, I want to be recognized by the faculty, the mm -hmm. parents, the students. Um, believe it or not, Bracken Reese and I go back at least 20, 25 years. We work together with uh, another private school slash church in Dallas. So uh, Bracken saw, you know, firsthand how how we handled, you know, some of the security issues. So he incorporates that into what he's doing over on the Hillcrest campus now, which is wonderful. He, uh, he he's my eyes and ears for, you know, with the Dallas Police Department who are working there, you know, with the carpool. Um, I went last week just to kind of help make a few little tweaks mm -hmm. with the carpool, hoping you know we can iron out some of the <coughs> deficiencies. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I, I still want to poke my head in a couple of times a week. I want to see you know the morning, afternoon carpools, walk through the, make sure the doors are you know locked during the daytime, and just uh, make sure everything's run runs smooth there as well as. Well, it's over here. Yeah, and you'll be a valuable consultant there. I mean, as Bracken's considering locking systems for doors, or he's uh, yeah. talking about uh, egress and entry points, or we're doing drills, yeah. uh, practice and, and drilling procedures with with the faculty and staff there. I am sure you will mm -hmm. be you will be consulted and and uh, and a resource there as well. But it's a nuance. Yeah. of our two campus uh, relationship that I think is important to give some transparency to as we as we talk with uh, with the parents but uh, we're glad to have you and uh, would certainly invite uh, those listeners if this drops before September 19th invite those that are listening to spread the word and and uh, have folks come to uh, hear Bodie and I talk a little bit about uh, some of the same things we've touched on tonight uh, today really uh, that night and uh, tell you what we're doing on the security side we'll also touch on the recommendations of the inclusive community task force um, at those uh, at those two meetings on the 19th, so I hope they'll come out and, and spend some time with us. And then otherwise, look for you uh, out and about on on campus at Carpool, walking the Great Hall yeah. or the buildings here at, at Midway, or are out at one of our evening events. Uh, they can they can come track you down, and yep. say hi, ask any questions, say <laughs> hi, and whatever. Just introduce yourself. I look forward to it. We're glad to have you. Thanks Thank for you, being sir. on the podcast with me today, Bodie. You bet. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In upcoming episodes, we will continue to evaluate safety as a critical component to a community of belonging. In our next conversation, I'll be joined by four members of the Inclusive Community Task Force, the 20-member committee formed by the Board of Trustees in April 2018, who spent a year investigating how we might live more fully into the charge of our mission statement to be an inclusive Episcopal community. I hope you'll return to hear that conversation.